It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. All right, welcome to the show. It's going to be a good one. We thank you so much for joining us. I'm Adam Ritz, and you can follow us on Twitter at Adam Ritz. The Facebook page is slash Adam Ritz Show. This week, our guest is Jeff Saturday, and we had a conversation with Jeff. It'll be featured throughout this entire show. Uh, Jeff Saturday, 14-year veteran of the NFL, uh, just played his final game in the Pro Bowl and hiked the ball to Peyton Manning, his former teammate. It was odd to see a guy in the NFC hike the ball to a guy in the AFC. Never been done before, but it was a pretty special moment. Um, Google it if you haven't seen it yet. It was it was really cool. And Jeff Saturday is, is just a really cool guy off the field as well. 14 years in the NFL, yes. Pro Bowls, yes. Super Bowl champion, yes. But off the field, even more interesting. As a father, as a husband, as a Christian, uh, high character and a lot to offer this planet off the football field and we'll talk to Jeff about a lot of these issues and more we'll even have some fun with him as this show we feature a conversation with Jeff Saturday fellowship leadership and philanthropy conversations and interviews from all over America it's the Adam Ritz show we're here with Jeff Saturday hi Jeff how you doing man Let's go back to your rookie year. Uh, you've got a pretty inspirational story on how you even got to be a professional athlete in the NFL. How'd that go? You know, it was it was uh, it really is a miracle. I tell people all the time it was a God thing. It was um, my my college years were good. I was two time All Conference, two time academic All Conference. So I felt like I had the sports world, um, you know, in hand. And uh, the draft came up. And I was expected to go on the first day, late in the first day or early in the second day. And uh, I didn't do great at the combine. I was smaller than people thought I was going to be. And so the draft day comes up and the first day comes and goes. I don't get picked. I'm kind of disappointed, but feel like yeah, tomorrow's a, you know going to be the day. And uh, I came in the next morning expecting it to happen. And uh, I can remember the, the Cardinals calling me in the fourth round saying, hey, we're going to make you your next pick. And you know, the pick comes and goes, and it's not my name. It's somebody else's name. And um, just getting this panicked feeling, you know, early in the day. And that day lasts, you know, four hours. And just watching picks come and go and other teams calling and saying, hey, we're going to pick you. And then it didn't happen. And uh, just being devastated, you know, as a college senior, I didn't take any interviews with companies because I really expected the pros to work out. And, uh, you know, here I am standing without a job and, you know, not even understanding what had happened. And probably about um, about three or four months later, I was out of football. I, I was signed with the Ravens for a cup of coffee is what I like to say. I went in, I walked in the room, there's a bunch of big trees, you know, as offensive linemen. I knew I wasn't going to fit there, um, so they cut me. So I went back and got a job in North Carolina, and I was working. And probably in December, uh, the cold – Whoa, 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 whoa. You're – you're not in the NFL. No. So as we sit here today, you've got over a decade in the NFL, all right. pro, pro bowl, yeah. Super Bowl champion Jeff Saturday. After college, you were not in the NFL. Yeah, I am I am working at an electrical, uh, electrical supply company in North Carolina. And I was working out afterwards, hoping maybe I could go to the Arena League or something if that worked out. Uh, and the Colts called 
And it so happened my roommate in college, Nate Hobgood Chittick, who had played with the Giants. He wasn't drafted as a college player. He went as a free agent, a college free agent. He was cut by the Giants, and the Colts signed him. And uh, he actually went into Bill Polian's office, which, I mean, it's like it would be like a guy on the street walking in to see Obama. I mean, you know, this this is this is a comparison. You know, you know, it would be shocking if Bill even knew his name. Mm-hmm. And he walks into his office and said, "Hey, listen, I've been on two teams. I played against four centers. I'm telling you, my roommate is is better than all four of them. You should give him a chance." And um, Bill had happened to be with the Panthers when I was at Carolina, and now he was with the Colts. And he said, "You know, we're not going to lose any money. We'll bring him in." And and uh, they brought me in for a workout, and they signed me. And uh, I'm telling you, man, it was it was a god thing all the way. Because 12 years later, and you, you know, you named all the accolades. I I would have never foresaw how this played out. That's pretty inspirational. So you're a rookie, and uh, let's go to your rookie year. What were uh, maybe some of the things that happened that you didn't expect? Um, probably how much time you have. You don't realize my, my wife was still working as a physical therapist in North Carolina because you have zero job security. You know, for any, anybody who thinks that because you go to the pros, you have this security, there is zero security. Unless you're a first round pick or the starting quarterback, your job is always trying to be replaced. And so, um, you know, I, I told her to stay down there, but how much time I had, I remember going, you know, I'd be here at seven 30 in the morning for our first meetings I would go to practice I would work out and I'd be done and it's you know 5 30 and I'm by myself and there's there's nothing to do you know you you don't have to go back and study anymore there's nothing you know there's nobody telling you where you should be there's no study halls and I just remember how um, you feel lonely a little bit, you know, because even with all your buddies around, you don't really know how to act. You, you, you have men who have families and, you know, they're, they're part of their in the NFL. And then you have young guys like us. So there's this huge dichotomy of people. And I just remember how much time thinking, wow, I have forever, you know, and then on certain days you you finish practice by one. So you have from one in the afternoon until, you know, the next practice in the morning to do whatever you want. So that time was was uh, probably the most shocking thing. Now, with all that time, uh, that's time you could get in trouble, too. <laughs> Absolutely. So you've made the transition from college to pro. Uh, with the media scrutiny, they're looking for you. To, you know, they, they love you when you win the Super Bowl, but they, they also love it when you make a mistake because that, that helps their ratings. That's how the media works. Um, you've got an enormous target on your back. From a pro athlete perspective, how does that target on your back, the media scrutiny, affect your decision-making process, where you go and who you go with? Yeah, I think uh, I think people underestimate exactly what you're saying. How um, how important it is for that story to sell papers or sell time on the internet for for reporters, and whether it's a good story or a bad story, it sells either way. And so they're always looking for ways to notch you down or or take a shot at you. And so when you go out to places, you have to know that everything you're saying or any kind of behavior that you're exhibiting out there. Somebody knows a reporter or somebody knows a way to feed that story out. And so every time I go out, I always think about, man, if I'm out with my wife and thinking about, um, you know, do you have a glass of wine at dinner? You know, all those things, those are those are actual decisions I have to make every day that I go out with my family is, you know, the way that you're talking to somebody or if there's a bad situation happening, how do you respond? And, and because there is, that's exactly what you said, there's a target, not only from media, but from other people who may not uh, be 
be as happy for your success as you would hope they would be. You know, they, they may want to take a shot at you or bring you down and, uh, and they'll do whatever they can to, to, to make that happen. So if you have a glass of wine and your steak is undercooked, yeah. to you, what is a bad steak and a nice dinner with your, your wife turns out to be Jeff Saturday was complaining during a drunken binge. Exactly right. And, and the way that it's framed, it only takes one of those stories. And you can't, it doesn't matter how good a person you, you can't overcome bad publicity. You know, it's like one of those things that's once it's out there, you can't fight it. You can't go, oh, that didn't happen. Because people feel like if it's in the paper or on the media, it's truth. And we, we all know that's not the case. But for some reason, it doesn't click with people like that. And so in every environment you're in, no matter where you are, you always have to be uh, a aware you know there's photo cameras everywhere so you walking into a situation or walking into a place you know you shouldn't be somebody snaps a quick photo pic and next thing you know you're on Facebook and it's worldwide and, and these are things that that happen and I see them happen to players all the time and it's all because of one bad decision or one mistake that they've made that just leads to a uh, you know to a full downhill spiral do you have a Facebook page I do not. I do not. For that reason. I, my, my wife actually has one. And so if anybody tries to contact her through that way, uh, but I'm probably one of the only people in America who doesn't, <laughs> but I do not. So what's the single best thing a rookie can do um, during their first year in pro sports? Understand it's a job. You know, th this is this is not college. This is not you get four years to adapt to a situation. Um, you know, when you step in this building, you have to understand you're competing with me for my job and for somebody else for their job. And so uh, understanding that's very important for guys to realize they have to be professionals. You have to show up on time. You have to be early. You got to make sure you're getting your stuff done, um, making sure you're lifting, making sure you're staying on top of all the details of your position. There should be no excuse for you not knowing uh, you know, whether it be a play or whether it be a certain formation, this is your job now. And so be professional about it. Understand when you come to work, you come to work prepared. You know, it shouldn't take your coach telling you, you know, get in your book. You should already be in your book. And, and they pay you a lot of money. You can make a great living. But I see so many individuals come in here with so much talent, but they think their talent's going to get them by. And talent does not get you by in this game. It can take you so far. Uh, but if you don't stay on top of your details, you'll be out of this league faster than you think. On the other side of that coin, what's the worst thing besides the obvious, you know, getting arrested or, right, or making right. a major mistake? Yeah. Uh, what's the worst thing that a player could do their rookie year? Um, pr probably just the opposite of that, you know, is just is just thinking that, um, you know, you can take it easy. You know, the, the coaches will give you time to to uh, catch up with the curve. And like I said before, um, I, I'll give you an example. When I, when I was a rookie, Edron James and I came in the same year. And I remember watching players who hung out with Edge. And these guys were good players. They were high draft picks, you know, your second, third, and fourth round picks. And I remember watching them all hang out together. And Edge was a special athlete. And so, um, but he didn't drink and he didn't smoke. So when he would go out, he would be out, but he wouldn't be doing anything to hurt his body. But these other guys would go out with him and try to hang with him and try to be like him, try to spend money like him. This guy's a third pick of the draft. He's got money. You know, you don't have that kind of money. And, and you, I watched them uh, all try to kind of keep up with Edge. And then I watched Edge as his game accelerated, and these guys went down so quickly. And it was all because of their mentality. They thought, 
you know, oh, I'm that good. I can get by with this. But the reality is there's probably five guys per team who have that kind of talent. The rest of us are fighting for scraps, and you better be ready to battle. And so I watched him, and it's sad because you, you really see guys who had great talent and could still be hanging around doing what I'm doing. But instead, their, uh, you know, their career fo- uh, or football career ended you know, in year two or three, which is you know, that's a sad commentary on that. So then how do you – turn what ended up being a two or three year career how do you turn that into a 12 year career what's your secret what do you what advice do you have for rookies on how to make this last as long as possible yeah i mean obviously the 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 main thing i would say is i'm ultimately blessed i mean i have not had injuries you can't do anything about that part so you know take that portion out of the game uh because that's you know i'm I'm truly blessed that that has not happened and some guys who are great players get that injury and it doesn't so always be prepared that could happen to you so make sure you're saving your money you're staying on top of what you need to because that is always a possibility but from the other side of what I think helps me be the player is I do show up I want to know what every player in my offense is doing so that I know where they're supposed to be and what my role is supposed to be in this play and and not looking at it just as you know one little position that you're so specific but being able to play other positions being able to understand why Peyton is calling a check that he's calling all those things I think go a long way for people to understand, hey, this guy knows our offense. He's a big asset, you know, and and being a vocal leader, telling guys, you know, being able to look at a guy and say, hey, man, we don't need that. You know, I I can see when a guy's going out on a Saturday, hey, man, this is not the time. You you got four months in the offseason. I don't care what you do. But right now you're affecting me and my livelihood. You're affecting my three babies at home. I don't appreciate this. But you have to be willing to step out and and, uh, be willing to make those kind of comments if you want to be the type of player who hangs around for a long time. Last question about the rookies. Uh, What would you say to your son who is entering his rookie year in the NFL? One, One sentence, one best piece of advice for your son entering the NFL as a rookie? One sentence. Man, that's a tough one. I would say, um, I'd say this, is going to be, this is going to be one of the greatest experiences you'll ever have in your life. Take advantage of this opportunity. Be smart with the decisions you make and know if you do, this could be a heck of a career. Speaking with Jeff Saturday from the Indianapolis Colts, let's go back to your college days in the ACC. Um, oh, you know what I wanted to say real quick? Let me, let me before we get to that. All right. Wikipedia has uh, your your career passer rating listed <laughs> at I think like thirty six. Yes, you threw a pass in a game. I did, I did. So I'll break it down. So we're playing. <laughs> I want to say it was Jacksonville. We're playing Jacksonville, and we're down five, and um, we're on our own thirty five yard line. And they're bringing the house. They're blitzing everybody because they know it's going to be a long bomb, and somebody's going to make a great play, right? So it's a good defensive call by them. And we don't have enough guys to pick it up. So somebody comes free, and they're wrapped around Peyton's waist. And um, I turn to see that, and so I kind of run behind Peyton, and he just pitches the ball out to me. And so I catch it, and I think I'm an athlete, right? So I'm like, I'm going to run this ball. So I start to run, and before I take two steps, the whole defense has converged on me, you know? And so I'm panicking. I'm thinking I'm going to get killed. And so I just toss the ball, and uh, I threw it to uh, Ryan Dean, who caught it, then turned and fumbled it and made me look awful. But I did get a decent passer rating. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my deal on my passer the only center in the league with a passer rating right now, for sure. That is, that is a great story. I love that one. Okay. So back to college. You're in the ACC. Yeah. Um, how do you juggle sports and studies? 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, from, from a student-athlete perspective, you have to understand that your education is the most important. And, you know, it, it's a lot of lip service to a lot of people, but the truth is so few people go to the pros and make a living out of it um, that you have to understand your studies really are going to take you a lot further. And so I, I think I got that. My mom's a teacher, and you know, I was raised in a single-parent family for a long time. I saw how hard it was for her. And I knew that if, if sports didn't work out, at least I'd have an opportunity to make a good education at, at Carolina. And, and I think that was important to me. And it was important, I tell you, it was important to Mac Brown and, and Jeff Madden, uh, who was our strength coach, to all of our staff that you made good grades. And all the guys that I played with who ended up having great careers in the league, uh, they were all good students. And, and we all pushed each other. Now, I'm not saying I was a straight-A student because I was not, but I understood um, to be a successful athlete, you need to be a good student. You know, the two went well together, and so that's what I focused on. Uh, at North Carolina. Um, the best school in the ACC, by the way, just to make sure we <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> Uh, as uh, you know, your football team is, is your fraternity, yeah. and those players are your brothers, and you've got to watch out for each other. Um, how, as a, as, I guess as a leader or a, as a brother, um, how do you step in when you feel like you should step in and talk to somebody about how they're handling themselves on or off the football field? Yeah, we had a uh, – Mac Brown had a, had a system when we were at Carolina where the, the captains of your team – were your leaders, and so we would have um, you know five or six guys who were on the leadership committee, is what we called it. And if we knew what players were doing or how they were acting, it was our job and our responsibility uh, responsibility to step in first. So before it ever even got to the coaching staff or got to um, any kind of discipline, it was the players' jobs to step in. And, and I think we used that effectively. When we saw guys getting out of line. Um, or, or making decisions that you knew weren't best for them, we were willing to step in and say, hey, man. And, and I got stepped in on. I mean, you know, don't, don't hear me in the right way. I made some bad decisions as well. And guys would look at me and say, hey, you know, this decision can cost you. You know, what you're trying to do here, this is, this is an end all. And it could be you're at a party and, um, you know, you've had too much to drink and here's this great looking girl. And now, you know, this is your response. I'm going to go back to this room. Well, if she's drinking and you're drinking, you go to jail. This, there is no decision, and they used to bring people in all the time that would hammer that in on us. A girl who was intoxicated, you are going to jail. And and so, you know, we would always step in for each other. And I, and I tell you, there's something, you know, machismo about athletes and drinking. You, know, you want to get into this fist fight, you want to beat up somebody, or, you know, you're at a frat party and, you know, two different guys from two different frats are going to start, and then everybody wants to get involved. And, and just being willing to say, hey, man, this isn't, this isn't smart for us. You know, we need to bail out of here. This is bad news. Um, and I think we did that a lot, and it, and it went to save a whole bunch of us. Now, we talked about juggling uh, studies and sports, and, you know, we're not stupid. I mean, we've, all been to the, we've all been to college, and we know what happens. Um, how do you juggle smartly, responsibly partying in the social, social scene as a student athlete at a university where, again, the target's on your back. It's a little smaller, right. but the target's on your back. You're being watched, but you're still a young adult, and you want to have some fun. Right. How do you juggle all that? 
I, I think giving yourself boundaries, you know, understanding what, you know, what your situation is and, and uh, who you are. You know, I, I think in college there's such a – there's a wide variety of athletes who are really well-known and maybe not so well-known. Um, and if you're one of those people who are well-known, understanding, you know, you make the same decision as somebody else, they may slide through the cracks, you're going to get – you're going to get nailed. And so setting boundaries for yourself, you know, okay, I'm going to go out such and such night with this group of people. I'm staying with this group of people. I'm not going to, you know, get blitzed and end up, you know, with somebody else on another campus, you know, somewhere else. This has to be a decision I'm making before I've gone out and, and, and making the boundaries of how much you're going to drink. You know, I'm not saying that anybody should, but I'm saying if you are going to do it, you, you better be responsible about decisions you're making, understanding how much am I going to drink before I go out what's my limit going to be where's my ride coming from you know it is it is a cliche in college everybody gets drunk and then goes loads up in one car and the one guy who you know who grabs the keys he's the idiot who gets the DUI and his career is ended and ruined or you know he's suspended for a year and everybody in the car probably would have done the same thing but he's a guy who took the fall and so just understand setting those boundaries way before you uh, before you get into the situation Single best piece of advice for your daughter, if she's going to play volleyball or swimming, college athletics, what would you tell your daughter? Stay away from the athletic men <laughs> at campus. <laughs> no, don't, don't go anywhere near any of them. Or the frat guys, nobody. No, I'm just playing. Uh, you know, is, is uh, exactly what I just said. I, you know, make good decisions. Understand, honey, that, that in one poor decision your life can change and and uh, you know I don't just mean drinking but I mean you, you know you, you sleep with somebody you have sex with somebody next thing you know you're pregnant or you get a disease it doesn't go away forever and these are decisions that we all face and we've all made in our past um, but her understanding that these decisions last forever now this is not you know something that everybody goes oh it's okay these are things that you can't just fix in a blink of an eye and, and so I would stress that to her is, is honey this is these are your decisions now you're an adult I can't make them for you you can't make them for her. you know only my daughter can make those decisions and and placing the onus and the responsibility on her uh, to do the right thing well said I'll provide you a transcript of this so you can reread it to her when she I like goes it. to college. I like it I like it okay let's go back to high school we're going to high school with Jeff Saturday. Nice. Um, what was it like, if you can remember, the day you found out you were going to play college football in the ACC at North Carolina? Oh, it was a fantastic day. I went to Shamrock High School, which is in Decatur, Georgia, uh, right outside of Atlanta. And uh, we were not renowned football school by any stretch. We had made the playoffs two years in a row, which was historic for our school. And um, I think only one, a guy named Lee North, who uh, played at the University of Tennessee, was the only guy who had went Division One big school. Uh, and he would go on like 10 or 15 years before me. And I remember um, the recruits, recruiters coming in and how happy my coaches were and how happy the people at the school because it just gives you great publicity, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember signing that document and my parents and my sister – all being there and just being so thankful that that was my way out. You know, if I didn't have an education, I'm going to be in the military or that's how people where I grew up did. They didn't go to college. And so um, it was a huge deal. My mom being a teacher, you know, just stressing the importance of college and finally being able to make that dream come true was it was pretty spectacular. What do you think would have happened 
along the way if you had had an underage drinking charge or DUI or any kind of alcohol-related incident? What would have happened to your college dreams? Oh, man. Uh, you know, Division One big school, you're not going. I mean, they're taking that, they're taking that ride from you because it's not worth the publicity for that school. They don't want to be known as it. They don't want to be labeled uh, as a school that takes that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I can give you a great example from a guy who played here with me. Is it, his senior year, uh, he was drinking at a party, and um, everybody at the party was drinking, but somehow he got singled out and caught. He had to go to the principal, and uh, he lost every scholarship opportunity he had. He had to go to a junior college. He went for two years to a junior college and then uh, eventually went on to Kansas State. But he was like, man, I made the road so much harder for myself than it had to be. And it was all, you know, he had a beer at a party, just a bad decision at a bad moment. And what it could have cost him, you know, he may not have been that player who came out of JUCO. He was like, he told me JUCO was like a circus. You know, there were guys coming in and out of there all the time. And, and uh, how he stayed the course and managed, he was like, man, it's, 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 you know, a miracle in itself. But, you know, one poor decision and how that labels you, uh, colleges don't want to mess with it. And, and they have enough athletes, they don't have to. So no one's that good where it's worth taking the risk on somebody who's done that. If you could go back in the, in the Jeff Saturday time machine and uh, what you know now, tell the 17-year-old version of you, what would you, what would you say to yourself? Oh, stop being an idiot. <laughs> That's what I tell myself. I made a lot of bad decisions at 17, and, and um, I took some huge risks and gambles. And, um, y you know, I, I am fortunate that none of them turned out as disastrous as they really could have been. And I see now in my life how, how things have gone, and I see how those same decisions really cost other people. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so true. And you, know, and you never know if that's you or not, and it's not going to assure you. I would look at myself and say, it's not worth the risk. Everything that you think is so spectacular and special right now, it's not. And that impressing those people that you think are so important at 17, I don't talk to any of them. And I'm 34. You know, I'm, I'm 17 years out of high school. I don't talk to one of them. You know, I talk to two guys from my high school, period. You know what I mean? And so your mind just changes so much. And you realize when you get to college how your friendships develop and they grow because, you know, you're living together and you're spending so much more time than even high school and how those other friendships, they, some may hang around, but very few. And all the things that you're doing to impress people or try to stay up with people, um, it, it's so it, you know it's just ridiculous. And that's what I would look at myself and say: you're risking everything that you could have out in this future for nonsense right now. And, and uh, that's really how I lived. You're a mentor to a lot of people. Um, let's talk about a mentor in your life. Um, maybe pick just one out of the bunch at any age, whether it was yeah. last week or when you were a kid? I'll, yeah, I'll give you two. I'll give you, I'll give you two. I'll give you, uh, when I was in high school, my high school coaches were my mentors. And uh, I remember they sat me down in ninth grade, and they looked at me, they put me in a chair in the middle of a room, and uh, I had this uh, offensive line coach, Cookie Ramis. And Cookie was an Italian guy. Um, he was probably 55 at the time or something, but built, dark tan, you know, talked – real rough. He was a Marine, been in the wars and it was in Korea and stuff. And uh, he sat me down and he said, if you continue to act the way you're acting at school, nobody's going to let you play on any sports because, you know, your, your football coach was your wrestling coach, who was your baseball coach and your track coach. You know, it was, it was one of those places. And so 
you know, you're going to be off all these teams. So when you, when you think about what's important to you, you better make a good decision at this point in your life. And I, I owe so much to all those men uh, for being willing to stand in the gap for me at that time. I mean, because I was, you know, raised by my mom who was working so much, and it was such a tough a tough transition. You know, how do you want to be? Who do you want to be? You want to be this tough kid who, you know, fights and people think you're tough, or do you want to actually make something of yourself? And and them looking at me and saying, hey, listen, this isn't macho. This isn't tough. This isn't cool. This is acting like an idiot. You end up in prison. And then I have a guy now um, who I see weekly and uh, Eric Simpson, and he's actually a pastor of a church here locally. And I open my life up to him. I mean, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm living. This is how I'm treating my wife, my kids, my teammates. I got into a fight with my coach. I mean, I, you know, I give him access to my life, and I'm willing to be honest and open with him. And he, you know, he shoots me straight bullets. And and you need somebody in your life to hold you accountable to what you're doing. And if you're lying to them, they're of no use to you. You know, you have to be willing to be open and honest and share what's going on. And be willing to take that criticism that you know is going to make you a better human being. Because so many people want to lie and put this facade on that truthfully we all can see through the facade, but you lie to yourself. And then it ends up costing you. Um, and, and all of those people, man, made such a huge impact on my life. And they still do today of keeping me where I need to be. That's fantastic. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, we're done. Let's right. just, uh, if you don't mind, just some real quick lifestyle questions. Right. What was your first concert? Oh, REO Speedwagon. <laughs> <laughs> you love that? What, okay. dude, I, was, I was back there rocking Ario Speedwagon, dude. What's your favorite Ario Speedwagon song? Oh my gosh, I can't even remember now. Holy mackerel. I can't fight this feeling. And, and I what, can't fight this feeling any longer. <laughs> I'm going to be a singer, too. You what was your favorite band in college? Man, college. Good gracious. That's 13 years <laughs> that ago, long dude. ago, Jeff. Where was I? Who was I even? Who was I jamming to? <laughs> who was it? You know what? You, you may be honest, probably Fish. Fish was probably my favorite group in okay, college. Now I know a little bit more about your decision making <laughs> yeah, process. I was say, that puts me in a whole different realm of human being. But yes, I, I did. I liked them uh, in college. I have not listened to them in many years. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.